knowledge back. They don't want us to ever come back. Root, root for real baseball. Magic's crap is so lame. But it's one, two, three hundred dogs who just ruined this game. Welcome back to the Real Voices of the Game Productions featuring the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. We're at episode 107, and in case you don't know, that was Black Jack McDowell, 1993 Cy Young Award winner. Uh, was a guest on one of our shows with Jeff Fry yesterday, just released this morning. And uh, he was kind enough to let us use his song, uh, which basically lays out his belief on analytics. So I think he's loud and clear with that. So thanks, Black Jack, for doing that for us. We appreciate it, and we're playing it all week uh, to celebrate his, I guess, his partnership with the show. But uh, Sal, welcome back here. A little message to our audience. Uh, we've we've eclipsed 10,000 subscribers this week, up to 10,300 now. A big thank you to them for supporting us. Um, remember to download, listen, like, subscribe, send us notes. We get tons of emails weekly. We always respond and we always reflect it in our show. We have stayed ad-free and sponsorship-free for you guys, so it's straight content. So when you get Sal, you get Sal. Um, so if you appreciate what he brings to the table, please go to patreon.com and donate to the hot corner with coach Sal. And, uh, that'll help Sal continue to bring you great content every week. And, you know, he's, uh, I think, and I don't think I know he's building, not just a better baseball IQ, but he's building a better overall performance, fitness, uh, general athletic view. So, uh, Sal, welcome back to your show, the star of the show. And, you know, he just got uh, back from Baltimore and we've got a pretty big topic today we're going to cover. Yeah, thanks, uh, Dave. Good to be here. It's a hard, again, hard to believe a week goes by. Um, we left off last week with the, th- the concept of if you want to build confidence in your athletes, you have to have to build competence. And, you know, that's confidence with an F and competence with a P. I think, not I think, what we have is it's phony competency and it's phony confidence that, it's, that it uh, brings about in athletes. And I think you can point to the high injury rates and the lack of a response by the strength and conditioning. I like to call it athletic development, but it really is strength and conditioning because the modern era has nothing uh, or they're not concerned with developing athletes. They want to get you stronger and they want to, you know, get you in their version of a condition. And those, those, Definitions are antiquated, their methods are antiquated, and the results uh, are obvious for all to see. The athletes are paying for them, especially in baseball. Yeah, we've seen, uh, we, you know, we always talk about, and you and I are, are pretty close to the same era. We didn't have hitting coaches, we didn't have throwing coaches, we didn't have elite travel teams, and we didn't have really strength conditioning coaches, even at the college level when, when I started. Um, and, and even at the minor league level. But today we have worse hitters, worse pitchers. We have kids coming out of baseball, travel baseball, who don't understand the game. They can't run the bases. And with all this strength and conditioning and this knowledge, we have more injuries than ever before. Yeah. And and there's no critical thought. You know, we don't, you know, you, you hear, you hear the, the comments about, you know, guys getting injured and the response of these organizations usually is just to hire another person who was doing the same thing someplace else 
and they think changing the uniform is going to make their philosophy better. Uh, it just makes no sense to me. Um, I have a lot of, in the last couple of years, I've, I've gotten a lot of high-level athletes. It, it started during the shutdown when athletes were home from school. Some whom I had had when they were uh, in high school and before and then were home because college wasn't in session. And others because they were professionals that were in this area. And um, where I happened to be was an area that was under the radar. So, you know, I was like the outlaw performance coach, I was open, you know, I had people coming to me, even though my business got crushed in one way from my normal day to day regular clients, uh, I was able to have a lifeline with some of these athletes that were around and needed a place to go. And, you know, the stories I get, and I just was talking to two guys yesterday that I've one I've trained since he was in high school, who just signed a pro football contract with a, um, a Canadian football team. And another pro lacrosse player who was an All-American in, in college and his team's leading scorer and a team captain, both had butted heads with their strength coaches and their head coaches in college because they were doing things that were damaging to them. And they knew it. And the coaches don't listen to these athletes. And that's one of the biggest problems we have, too, Dave. I think, that, I think that, you know, three things off of that. One, that last thing you said where I think it's important for kids and families to know you'll hear Sal talk about it every week and it's across all of our shows, whether it's pitching or strength training, your arm is your arm. You own it. You're the only one that knows, you know, what it's capable of doing. Same thing with your body. So great that those guys stood up for their bodies. Um, the other point you hit on was accountability by these organizations who are rather than fix the problem, they rearrange the deck chairs in the Titanic, they fire a guy and bring in somebody else who's going to do the same thing. And the one thing I want to see if you, if you could start with and kind of get into those is we have a lot of, obviously, we you know, we have 46 countries, grassroots players all over the world are listening with their families and all the way up to front offices. What are some of the examples that they'll see online or in person, I guess, that would exemplify the building of confidence over comp with that false comp or the, the phrase you said with building, well, which I get right, building confidence, confidence by improving competence. Well, uh, I, I think what a great example, and it, it cuts across all sports, is the bench press. Yeah. You know, at the, I'll use the bench press and then I'll, I'll give you the bench press as a part of what a lot of these programs call the big three, which includes the back squat and the deadlift. And I have my client who signed with, the, like I said, in Canada, and he was playing at a top 20 program in college and they wanted their receivers to hit the 1200 mark or might have been 11. It was 11 or 1200 pound total mark in those three lifts. And um, my client didn't do that and never missed a practice, never missed a day at, at the school. And in the last season, when they were really putting the squeezes on him to, to do these things, they had a, a, a torn ACL, a non-contact torn ACL, and a non-contact torn Achilles in the receiver core. So um, there, there's a great example of this competency that they've made up in their mind as being the goal, the competency is the lifting of heavy weight in those three lifts and the false confidence that you get from it as a coach and you're instilling in your players. So that, there's a great example. And, and I'll give you one more. Again, I think we talked about this before, but last year in the NFL Combine, not one quarterback that was at the Combine bench pressed. And yet you could go online and go on social media and find bench press routines for quarterbacks. 
Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And you could take it across other sports, basketball. People remember Kevin Durant's combine when he came out of college, 6'11", 2'3", type of player. I think they stacked 225 out there and they let him rep out and he did zero. He couldn't do one. But he's, he's had a pretty good career, arguably one of the all-time greats. For pitchers and hitters in baseball, oh, I mean, it makes me cringe when I think bench press because that's such a there's, – there's such – there's too much pressure on the rotator and the shoulders when guys are doing it improperly. What are some alternatives people can do to build up that same muscle? Well, you don't want to, you know, you want to take it away from the concept of building a muscle because no muscle works, you know, in isolation, you know, every muscle that, you know, in your body from your fingers to your toes are working. So you want to work things in, in connect that have the connection. So, you know, a great example is push-ups. There's, I have, I can't tell you how many guys I've seen that have bench pressed, you know, big numbers and have crappy push-ups. Can't, couldn't do, you know, a set of 20 push-ups. So, you know, what does that tell you? You're on your back and, you know, throwing this weight around and yet you can't be in a position where you're controlling your own body weight. Yeah. And explain that. Like why? And I, the same thing could be said for lap pull downs and chin-ups. I've seen guys, you know, lat pull down the whole stack and they can barely do two chin-ups. Right. It, it's, it, there's a mental component as well as a physical and especially in the chin-ups, you know, the chin-ups you have to have some, well, here, here, some people are just naturally strong enough to do them. So let's let, we can address that. That's no doubt. You know, I knew kids like that. I struggled on pull-ups when I was a kid and struggled on climbing the rope, which they've done away with here in New Jersey, because heaven forbid you um, have a kid, fail at something physical and learn a lesson from it and also maybe be in some danger. So they've done away with rope climbing. But on the other side of that, I had fantastic phys ed teachers, uh, both male and female in our program here where I grew up and knew how to teach kids to do pull-ups and push-ups. You're going to think this is crazy. We had a bunch of different clubs you could get in and some were with lifting weights and there were this other group that was all the body weight movements. We had kids in, and we called it junior high, now is middle school, do 40, 45 plus pull-ups. And this was in the days before CrossFit introduced, you know, the kipping pull-up, which is kind of this full body, you're throwing your hips into it, you're really going almost in a circular a circular motion or an oval motion to get the momentum. Yeah. But but you know, so we we had very advanced coaching, coaching by our phys ed teachers. So you know, with the pull downs, you need to know uh, with the pull ups, you need to know how to teach someone who can't do it. Pull downs is very easy. Sit down, lock your legs in and find the weight where you could get 12, 10, 15. Uh, it, does, doesn't, it doesn't take much effort there. Pull ups, there's a way to do it. You have to start with either holding your chin at the bar level, boost it up or you get up to the chin to the bar and you lower yourself slowly and you do that over time and there's a progression and there's a way to mix and match those movements to, to make you successful. Yeah. I was one of those kids that, that could pop up there and do 35, 40 chin-ups, just, uh, you know, just being strong for your body weight, same for the push-ups, but on the other side, you know, bench press, no, not till later on in life. Was that even a factor uh, for me? And I honestly think, and again, there's a way to moderate, but I think I fell into the trap a little bit when I was developing as a college athlete turning into a pro where I isolated a lot of body parts because I was naturally skinny, naturally thin. And I, you know, you get obsessed with getting stronger 
And uh, I think there were times where I think I hurt myself doing that. Well, yeah. And, you know, again, there's that the def- the definition of competency is uh, not absolute because, you know, the, again, a coach who thinks bench press is important, that they have a misplaced notion of what competency is. So if you're a baseball player and your coach wants you to bench press, you're starting uh, at a deficit. So that that's the big that's a big problem. Yeah. And, th- and, that, and that, that was not attributed to any of my coaches. That was more me exploring ways to to uh, try to get stronger. Yeah, um, but, but in your exploration, you're still going to sources that are even if it wasn't in the Internet days, it was all magazines that by the time you were at that age, Dave, the bodybuilding uh, mentality had perverted and corrupted training for performance. So, you know, that you could go back to even Barry Bonds when he was using the juice. He had a a dope who was a bodybuilder training him and he was doing stupid bodybuilding exercises. If Barry Bonds had just taken growth hormone and the other substances Balco had prescribed for him and didn't leave him in the hands of a lunkhead personal trainer, he would have hit 900 home runs because he missed time because of the injuries that were derived from his training you know all of his elbow and tendon injuries that was all from nonsensical bodybuilding training routines that focused on the wrong thing yeah i never never thought about that um you look at how many games he missed in that in that stretch where he was superhuman and you you apply you know his home runs per whatever you want to however you could you know back fill that that uh, stat he would have had so many more home runs. It's, it's incredible. And he would have never gotten caught if he had done it the right way. Yeah. Such a great hitter naturally. I mean, he worked at it, but even before all that stuff come into play, he was more of a leadoff type, very nimble, very loose, um, stole a lot of bases, moved the ball around before he became a, a home run, home run King there. Yeah. So With- the point, the point is that the bodybuilding influence had already ruined training for especially baseball by that point, by the time even you were doing it. Yeah. Now, on the other side, I grew up, so it went from one extreme to the next. I grew up under an old, uh, which would be considered old school mindset, but it's kind of what we, we uh, it's back to new school now. I grew up under the premise of do not lift. It'll ruin your game. It'll ruin your shot. It'll ruin your swing. And when we look back in time at some of these great hitters, and you know, you go into basketball too, these guys weren't throwing weights around. They were naturally, they were strong because they got strong performing the movement. Right. And, and you know, a lot of these guys had multi, not a lot of them, I would say the vast majority of guys had multi-sport background. The phys ed programs at the time when they went to school were better. And so they were just, they were ahead of the game. They were doing things the right way. They didn't know it. And people thought all this newfangled um, philosophy with lifting was going to improve it. And it, it, it just doesn't. Not lifting the way, like, you know, lifting weights has become a pejorative because of how the lifting weights is applied to certain athletes and what they're doing. You know, lifting weights in itself isn't bad, but it's how you're doing it and what you're doing that matter. You know, if you go on my Instagram, Coach Sal's Playmakers, my athletes lift weights, but we're at the opposite end of the spectrum of these people who want you to load up the bar. We're, we're going for speed and coordination and explosiveness that is what you need to be good at any sport. 
talk talk about or get into that a little bit. That was a question I told you. I had a nice talk with Ted Kubiak last night, and we kind of got into a little bit what our last show was about, some of the other shows, but then talked a little bit about today. Um, when you're training athletes and you're training for, like you said, the, the speed and explosiveness, and and then we're not a visual show, but do your best. What what things are you doing um, as opposed to the, the counterbalance, the, the other side? Well, but again, so here you don't need to see these things, but I think I could do a pretty good job of describing it. So one of the most important, the, the two most important things in designing a program for your athletes and, and coming up with lifts that are going to help them, it's specific, specificity and gravity. So specificity is a bunch, a bunch of things combined, but in, in, a, in a short explanation, it has to kind of look like the sport. It has to look athletic. It has to have some of the components of athleticism that you look for in an athlete. Uh, and gravity is how gravity affects the body and what position is the body in. So here's a question, Dave. Neither of us are, are physics majors. I was a liberal arts major. I don't know about yourself. Um, I know you have a, a math background, um, but do you sit down at any point when you're playing baseball? If you're not any good, you do. You're in a baseball game. But that's why I said playing. So when you're playing the game, are any of those things you need to do in baseball done when you're sitting? No, right? Correct. So right there, if or laying down. So right there, you have great examples of how you could eliminate most things that a lot of people are prescribing for our athletes. Um, we don't sit, we don't lie down. We rarely have a squared stance with either our hands or our feet. Another, another, um, another thing I could throw out there is how about some of these movements you've seen with heavy weights? Would you say those are at speeds similar to something like how a pitcher throws or a batter swings, or would you say those are at speeds that are, probably on the opposite end of the spectrum from that kind of. Yeah. There's, there's, there's slower, there's slower speeds in which you perform your activity. Correct. So specificity is not only, let's say the movement pattern, that's, that's kind of getting into a kind of a fancy term, but the movement pattern, but also the speed. So the speed, the movement that of, uh, of the muscles around the joint, how the body reacts, how it's actually a nervous system function. A baseball swing is a nervous system function. It's not a muscular action. The nervous system is sending signals and the body has to respond. If, you tr if you've trained your body slowly in the wrong position um, with heavy weights, which is kind of going into the slowly thing, you're going to have a hard time then swinging your best. And younger guys could do it and younger gals could do it who have got young, resilient bodies, but as you go up the ladder, uh, it's harder and harder for your body to overcome that bad training. Yeah, it's, it's base hitting is a quick twitch movement. And anybody that's hit will tell you it's, you have less than, they say three tenths of a second, but I, I don't buy that. It's even less to make a decision and it's your body reacting to the training it's done basically. Yeah. And if you, uh, you know, with, with my movements and tell me if I was on to something here, I was, when I was trying to make my jump from college to professional, one of my key strengths was my speed. And, but I always worked on improving it. My, and I'm talking about my foot speed and I would train my, my lifts rather than going for power to do everything in 6.2 seconds. 
Um, that's what I wanted to run my 60 in. That's why I wanted to get the home the second in. And um, that was, that was going to be my money right there, my opportunity to play. Um, how, I mean, was that just luck that I was, that I chose that? Does that have any merit to it? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, you know, Coach Radcliffe at Oregon, I've mentioned him and I've said this before, the best way is to get fast. The best way to get fast is to run fast. So, you know, again, with an expert like him, he can teach you how to run fast uh, and and do the technical side, and then you just go after it. So, yes, and and you were probably the benefit of of addition by subtracting. Uh, Addition by subtraction, you took out the stuff that was not going to help you just by virtue of your – focus on speed, which is good. I mean, you know, serendipity is responsible for some of the great inventions. So if, if it was good luck or you were onto something, it's a combination of things. Yeah, that, that's, that was a big help. But again, you, you'll you see someone try to do that with a bench press and that, that that's not, that doesn't work because you could never bench press as, as fast as you need to and it's still a muscular action. It's a one-dimensional muscular action. And you need to be able to move in three dimensions at an aggressive, violent speed. Right. And explain that to the three dimensions. I love that when you bring that up. I, always, I probably have it written down 400 times in, in uh, my notebook here for you. But well, three-dimensional training. So there's three planes of movement, right? We have when you move forward and back. So when you run forward and then backpedal, that's called the sagittal plane. When you shuffle, when you run laterally, that's called the frontal plane. And when you turn and rotate, you're in the transverse plane, right? So the transverse plane is really where we get a lot of our injuries. It's um, it's the, the it's the plane where we get these non-contact ACL injuries. You plant, picture someone planting their left foot in the ground and turning to their right. So you're planting, you're turning away from your base, and your your center of mass is moving away from that plant foot. If you look at wireframe representation of the ACL tears and then overlay someone act, someone's actual ACL tear that's a non-contact, they could all be the same person, right? Um, so we train a lot. I, I train a lot of... Uh, a rotational movement, a lot of transverse plane. Think about your machines in the gym, Dave, that you see guys on and girls on. Squat rack, all all sagittal plane. You're training, you know, your front and your back. Your very little lateral training goes on in the gym in any machine. Um, you know, you could sit in those ab machines and rotate, but that's that's not anything to do with what you do when you hit a baseball. Uh, I also see you know, those big weight stacks and guys take the bar and girls take the bar and they rotate and pivot as if they are following through. But again, the weight stack is the problem because you're not doing it anywhere near the speed you need to do. And sometimes, Dave, that gets you in more trouble when you're trying to do the same pattern and the pattern is at a speed that is not going to help the movement. That's where you really run into problems. That's why I think we have so many oblique injuries. Yeah, it's been it's been extremely common the last, I would say, five years. I've seen so many, with pitchers especially, um, the obliques and the lats. Uh, they, they've just tearing them in, uh, to pieces here. Well, so- we upon the lat. The lat 
the lat latissimus, which is the muscle that runs basically from under your armpit down, it really the, the connective tissue of it goes way down into your top of your hip. Um, the lat is a stabilizer for the throwing motion. So when you have these pitchers now with these lat issues, that's because you're stressing a muscle because it's stabilizing that motion and it's having to do too much work. And that be, that can be because of a wide range of factors. One of the most common is lack of range of motion. And that lack of range of motion comes from A, weakness, B, the wrong kind of strength training, and a combination of those two. Of those two. Yeah. And going back to your, your squat, I mean, you were talking about the squats where, you know, they – they hit that one dimension that's the sagittal plane. When you overload one of those three dimensions, and I guess I'm, it's a loaded question, is it it has an adverse effect on the other two, correct? So overloading one of the three causes the injuries we're doing, or is, is one of those three planes more important than another? Well, they, they all work together. So again, think about you know what a baseball player does in, in the batter's box where they're moving in multiple directions at the same time, and then if they hit the ball – depending on if they're right-handed or left-handed. If you're a lefty, you know, and say you've gone the other way and then you've got to rotate rapidly and get yourself up the first baseline, you're doing all of those three planes at one, you know, and, and, and they're intertwined. And it's, you know, unless you're breaking it down with super slow motion, where does one end and the other begin? So that's why all of this training that's done, that's not at the right speed, that's not with the right movement pattern, um, really is holding guys back. And I, again, I think it's think let's go back to the most basic fundamental issue here. Guys are getting hurt. And I'm going to say guys, because it's really, it's major league baseball players are getting hurt doing the things that are the most foundational slash fundamental movements in the game, running the bases, swinging the bat, throwing the baseball. Those are, those are the three things. If you can't do those, you can't play. And yet guys are getting hurt doing that. It's not guys getting rolled up into, you know, football is always going to have its injuries because you just can't allow for the contact. You know, I got one time I was on outside the lines on ESPN with uh, Bob Lay, and it was with a couple of guys from the NFL. Jake Plummer was one. Tony Casillas was the other. And they were debating this football movement to teach proper tackling and safe tackling. And my position was you can't, there is no way to tackle someone safely because you could do everything quote perfectly. And there's the factor of hitting the ground, hitting another player. The person you hit is going to land in an awkward position. So there's no such thing as a safe tackle. So baseball doesn't have that worry, you know, except for running into the wall, some weirdness with the, with, I know they want to do stuff with the bags to make them less likely to cause an injury. But even at that, those injuries that happen for guys hitting the bases because they run poorly. Um, yeah. You know, we don't have that in baseball. So the, we're in a position where guys are getting hurt doing the most basic movements possible. And there's a problem with that. Yeah. The base running thing, especially with the one at first base, it's because they're lunging at the end. They're going full speed. And instead of running through the bag like you're taught as an eight-year-old, they lunge at it and then they, they, they land awkwardly as well. Well, brother, their foot, they don't run, they don't run properly. So none of the strides, the, when you're running down first base, you watch these guys run, none of their strides are good. So what's going to happen, they hit the base, they're really in a poor position and it makes it worse because 
they're, they're never over their foot. The foot's always out in front of them or they're on their heel. They're not extending their knee. They don't extend their hip. So they're running poorly from the beginning. Could, could you describe that? And that was a question that actually Ted asked me last night on the phone. Ted Kubiak asked me, he goes, if, if Sal, if you broke down a, a, a foundation that he teaches well and you teach many well, what would you send a kid to him to work on? And I said, I've already sent some kids to him to work on their, their running and their running form to improve their speed. What should their running mechanics look like? Well, there's some, there's some key fat features I work on. And it, um, the running is a top-down function, okay? So a lot of people think it's what your legs are doing that are the most important thing. And ultimately it is, but your legs take direction from what's going on above. So I work on posture. That means your head up and head still. You know, you know, Dave, no matter what position you play, if your head's not still and you're running to track a fly ball, if you're an infielder, if you're a catcher, if you're if you have to run and then turn, if your head is not still and is not in the proper uh, posture, you're going to have a real tough time, especially if you're a center fielder. Right. Those guys run so smoothly because their head's in the right position. Um, So it's your head has to be up. Your arm shoulder, uh, I'm sorry, your shoulder rotation controls what your hips are doing, okay? Uh, and from that, we want your foot in your ground under your hip. And that's to say that you're not hitting with your heel. It's your forefoot is the most important part of your foot, and it's under control when you hit the ground. So I spend, you know, three quarters of my time doing that because from that, all other less intense movements take their cue. So if you're a sloppy sprinter, you're not going to be good in agility, any kind of agility movement. Yeah. Going back to the head, I always, the head's the heaviest thing on your body for anybody, some more prominent than others. Um, but, uh, I always say that to the kids when they want to talk about their balance, think about their head control and their head position, because where your head goes, your body tends to follow. So when you're right, when you're tracking a fly ball, your head's important. But the other thing I've always noticed is the guys that run on their heels when they're running after the fly balls, their heads could be still, but running on their heels gives the impression that the ball's actually moving on them going up and down because it's that, that odd uh, abrupt hit into the ground, as opposed to being on that, that forefront of your foot, as you mentioned. So, right. And when your legs, you know, when you're in the, when you have the proper posture, it doesn't matter what your activity is, whether it's playing the piano hitting a baseball or chasing a baseball or throwing a football. Think of what, what athletic event or endeavor can you think of where a good posture is not a benefit, right? And yet if you watch kids sprint, the first thing they do, and it's not just kids, they throw their head forward, they throw their shoulders forward in an effort to you know build momentum or to increase their acceleration. And that's actually making them less stable, less athletic, uh, more prone to injury, slower, less agile. And from that, you could, you know, basically everything follows. That's a problem. I see that with all athletic movements. I did a post today with our kids. People were asking me about uh, fielding drills and dribbling drills because they look kind of, they look nice and cool on the, uh, on Facebook or wherever we post them. And I wrote back today, I did a longer post with Tanner, our 13 year old doing his, mo- his pre-catcher mobility training. One was a T-spine rotation, but the other stuff I showed, I slowed it down to make sure that they understood that the, the skills that he's applying out there and the stuff that looks cool has less to do with the hands and more to do with the feet. 
Um, you're on your feet, like you said, as we talk 100% of the games, no matter what you're playing. And to not pay attention to your feet in training would be just uh, would, would be just counterproductive. Well, the foot's the only thing that's on the ground when you're, you're doing all these moves. So if you have a problem with your feet, um, you know, nothing above is going to work the way it should or at least work, work as efficiently. And like I said, I told you, I, I get athletes young and old that have dysfunctional feet, ankles. Their ankles are terrible from a mobility standpoint. Calves are too tight. Um, shin muscles are too tight. And, and from that, it follows that their performance is going to suffer. You hit some key points. I know we're, we talk a lot about the young kids, but um, as you get older, I mean, I'm 49. Um, you know, those are key things that people want to look out for mobility as well. I'll get into your, I mean, I see shoulder impingements where they can't do shoulder extensions uh, backwards. Um, transverse abdominis, their piriformis. Uh, I mean, there's tightness everywhere that, uh, that, that you, I know we talk a lot to the young kids and specifically to athletes. But uh, adults that are listening to this, that that's, they should pay attention as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, you know, sitting is part of it. And, you know, I had mentioned those books I recommended. The Story of the Human Body is one of them. Uh, and the other by the same author is called Exercised. And, uh, you know, he talks about sitting and, and sitting can be a problem. But again, it's not this sitting is the new smoking that was pushed a couple of years ago. Um, you know, you have to do some things that can be very easily countered. You know, you're not as long as you're not sitting eight hours straight. You know, of course, you know, they, they want people want to talk about the, you know, hunter gatherers, this and that hunter gatherers sat on the ground and they sat just as much as we do. It's just that they were sitting differently and they were active differently and uh, their diets were different. So, it's you know, we have a, a lot of information where people take little bits and pieces of it and use it to craft their narrative. And it's just, it's not as simplistic as people make it sound in some of these cases. Yeah. It's uh, that's the website I called www.imright.com. Yeah. You make your stuff up. So with, uh, I know we're getting close to our time here. Any last thoughts you want to leave the audience with or any, I know you've always, you always throw a couple books out for everybody. Well, I, I you know, I've, done the book thing. I think people have to catch up and, you know, I've, I've laid enough out there so people really should have enough to go on. But specifically when you're talking about parents with kids, you have to, there's a couple of things to remember, no matter what the club is that they're playing for, it's still your kid. And and I, this is coming from someone who's had kid, their own kids recruited for sport, who have helped kids get recruited for sport and have been on the college side where, where I'm recruiting kids to play sport. And Parents have to understand they're in control. Uh, the, the, the coaches may know this, may know that, but at the end of the day, it's your kid. Don't let these clubs make you think it's all about the club because it's not. Um, you have a lot of, of um, say in what goes on, and, and it sounds silly that you have to say that, but we've forgotten where we are. And, uh, and I think that's really important because these clubs are getting a little out of control and taking on too much importance. I agree. It was, uh, we always try to promote parents being the first educator of their kid in, in all areas. And yeah, somewhere it's gotten forgotten that singular possessive pronoun. Some of the, it's one of the only times you can really use it when you say my kid, it's your children. You gave birth to them. Um, yeah, I would say parents got to step up in that regard. And we, we preach it all the time on our, um, all the shows, but also on the social media where 
from club coaches to uh, throwing instructors to swing instructors to basketball skill trainers everywhere. You know, I, I believe they believe their intent is good, but parents have to get more educated. They've got to step up and, and regain command of their children and realize that if their kid's good enough, um, that, and, and as I explained some of the workouts I did, I made mistakes with it, but I was my first educator. Um, I was my self-teacher and I think I learned much more doing it that way than being dictated to. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the other thing I'll say, and I tell this to my athletes all the time, you know, especially if you're, there's, there's some of the athletes out there, but if that are a little different than others, as far as the positions they play and the skills they need. But to be honest with you, if you're a 15 year, 16 year old kid, 14 year old kid, whether you're the catcher or the center fielder, whether you're the offensive tackle or the wide receiver, you're all, these kids are all Porsches and NASCARs. You're not taking a Porsche and attaching a snowplow to it or attack, attaching a winch to it and having it tow heavy vehicles. Let your, your kids need to be treated like these finely tuned machines. Not that there's anything wrong with tow trucks or snowplows, but what's happening in the weight room, these kids are being treated like that. You see this phrase we've talked about embrace the grind and you're supposed to like this stuff like it's this torture is supposed to be good for you and it's not so if you're getting that message or getting that feeling from wherever it is you're taking your kids I would I would get out of that place as soon as you could yep and goes back to the phrase you started the show with building confidence by improving competence with a p um, I think that's a great message to to end with our families here that are listening, 46 countries, grassroots all over, all the way up to Major League Baseball front offices. So how can everybody find you? Where can they catch you on social um, and Substack? You could get me at, at Sal Marinello on Twitter. I have a Coach Sal M Substack and Coach Sal's Playmakers on Instagram. Great. And, and um, we will keep keep pumping out the shows here. We're getting a good good response. And to our 10,000 plus faithful subscribers, um, you know, continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. It helps us get metrics on how well we're doing and helps us continue to do what we're doing. We also stay ad free, sponsor free. So if you like what Sal says, which I know you do based on the emails I get, uh, shoot him some questions, shoot me questions, but also make sure you go on patreon.com and contribute to the hot corner with coach Sal at episode 107 real voices of the game production Sal great job again we appreciate you buddy thanks Dave had a good time look forward to next week great and here's our Jack McDowell let, let Jack sing one more time Crap is so lame, but it's